a Pulp MX Network production. The only athlete-to-athlete podcast in the sport. Questions from a different perspective. The hard questions you want answered about training, riding, and being a professional athlete. Not only in motocross, but in other sports realms as well. Welcome to Shifting Gears, the Zach Osborne Podcast. What's up, guys? Shifting Gears, Episode 2. We're here with Wes and Pike. We met at a little uh, shop here in in Marietta. Um, Weston's kind enough to grace us with his presence. Um, He looks to be doing really, really well at this point. Uh, Obviously, I was in Paris whenever he had his crash and everything, and um, no one really knew the, the situation whenever we actually left Paris, but it was obviously quite serious. Yeah, it's, uh, by the way, what's up, guys? How you doing? Um, yeah, so, you know, obviously the, the whole injury in Paris was uh, something I didn't really expect. And, you know, as of an expectation of that much of an injury that ended up happening at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I'm just thankful to be alive and, and have have the support from the people that, you know, were there to work fast enough to get me, you know, in a stable position and, and breathing under control to where, you know, I didn't pass out there. But, um, you know, I'm definitely, uh, I'm doing better. I'm on the mend and, um, you know, healing up as best as I can. And, you know, I still have a few things that are, that are holding me back from, uh, making a quicker return. But for the most part, it's, you know, I'm feeling better every day and every week it gets better. So it's, you know, a slow progress, slow progress. Yeah. You sent me a picture a couple of weeks ago, like, uh, one of your x-rays was like, yeah, basically reconstructed your entire jaw, face, nose, yeah. everything. Yeah, it was it was gnarly. You know, I actually when I when we left Paris, my family asked the doctors like, "Hey, how many plates are in Weston's face? Like, what happened? Like, what was the case?" And they literally told us that they only put three plates in my face and a couple screws. So the whole time I'm thinking, like, I did a press release saying, like, oh, I got three screws, this and that. Like, didn't really know what it was because all the paperwork was in French. And, uh, you know, once we got everything um, translated to English, then I started reading the paperwork and this and that. And then I was getting CT scans and, and x-rays. And, and I'm looking at these x-rays and I'm like, I have 20-something plates in my face, four screws. And I'm like, how did they not tell me that they put that many plates in my face? So I was shocked, you know, when I got, you know, and I seen those images, I was like, that's, you know, pretty gnarly, a lot worse than I did. I actually, they call it, uh, it's a Lafort fracture. I actually did a, a one, two, and a three of the four fracture where my entire skull was, my top of my skull was detached from my the bridge of my eyes, and then my nose was detached as well. So I had three full cracks to my face, you know, so that's why there was 21 plates and four screws holding my face back together practically. Yeah, I, um, obviously I did, you know, four, four and a half years in Europe, and the language barrier is tough, but, like, when I left there and we kind of started to sort out the details and everything the stress like even for me i was stressed for you but just because you know being from being in a coma i've been very fortunate to never be in that situation but like waking up and not being able to understand luckily kelly and your dad made the trip to come and and meet you and stuff and like that had to be worst case scenario you know for for the situation although you were in great care but it had to be hard to kind of come to to that reality if you will yeah no it was it was because when my you know my fiance kelly and my dad flew over because travis my mechanic he ended up staying there the whole time and uh when everybody got there the doctors didn't even know because they all got there sunday and the doctors i was still in an induced coma and the doctors didn't even know if I was paralyzed, a vegetable, or if I had brain damage. And everybody's asking, like, well, what's the scenario? And all the doctors are like, oh, we don't know. So luckily, you know, when my uh, family got there, 
that that was the that was the day I actually I started moving, and the doctor's like, "Oh, that's the first time we saw him move the entire time." It's yeah. like so, just stuff like that, you know. That was you know obviously hard for the family because. You know, my dad and my fiance are flying over, and, and nobody knows if I'm gonna, you know, live or not. And then, you know, the rest of my family is like, "Well, do we fly over? What's gonna happen? Is this it?" You know, so there's a lot of stressful things for that. And and you know, like I said, yeah, waking up in the hospital, and I really don't remember a lot of it. You know, a lot of it's just like kind of, you know, disappears. You know, being on, you know, so much, you know drugs and anesthesia and all, all that stuff, you know, really, you know, messes with your brain and, and you know, kind of don't remember a lot of things, you know, which is a good thing. But, you know, for, for the most part, it, it was it was pretty gnarly and the language barrier was was probably the hardest thing to do considering I had a trach in and like, you know, I'm, I'm angry because the, Cause the you're angry. yeah, because I'm always angry, <laughs> you know, and then I'm, you know, obviously hurting and I'm just like, what's going on? Like what's going on with my face? Like what what's the deal? And there was like not a lot of information. So it's hard to hard to get in my head right yeah, now. Yeah, w- like whenever I figured out the reality of the whole thing, the first thing I did was call both our good friend, Dr. Edwards, who's fluent in French and, and a doctor here in the state. So I feel like that kind of not not like tooting my own horn but like that was the first thing that i felt like i could kind of do for you or to help you i don't know you know how you guys would have sort of navigated it so gnarly yeah it was gnarly yeah it was you know thankfully we had a lot of people that actually spoke french that helped between pascal and and other guys over there and um I think uh, Musquin's wife actually helped out Matilda a little bit, and then you know um, Eric Pernoid was over there helping out. So li- luckily, there's a lot of people that spoke English and French to be able to actually help. So that made it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, we'll move on to brighter things, but yeah. um, it's awesome to see that you're you know doing as well as you are, and you know back here at home and. Yeah, and kind of enjoying life a little bit again, you know? Yeah, no, it's definitely, you know, the, the anticipation to getting home, considering they were telling me I'd be there till December 15th, and I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, I'm leaving <laughs> when I'm leaving, you know? And then obviously as soon as I got out of ICU, you know, that's when I was, like, off all the drugs, and I was actually being able to function better, and then I was like, you know, I think I, I was two day, three days in, in the... Uh, in another room where I wasn't in ICU and I wasn't on anything, I told one of the nurses, like, hey, I was like, you need to go tell the doctors to come in here because I'm leaving on December. <laughs> I think it was like a Monday or Tuesday. I said, I was like, you guys need to check me out of here on a Monday because I'm not staying. Like, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm going back to the States. And which it was funny because it actually, it worked out because I, I changed my flight to a Tuesday and they came in my room Monday took the staples out of my head out of my eyes and out of my chin and out of my leg and then I was like sweet you know we went into the paperwork you know and that was it we we're out of there I was yeah. like done I'm getting out of here so I was you know thankfully I was able to to get out of there as soon as I did and not have to stay for a few other weeks but uh yeah just being home was you know just that whole flight that 12 and a half hour flight it didn't even feel like 12 and a half hours because I was just so, so stoked to be yeah. out of a hospital and on a plane home and um yeah that's a big thing and now obviously I'm in you know, 100% recovery mode, and and you know it's good just to be able to walk around and start to drive and and you know get back to where I was. For sure, I understand. Um, I guess like pre uh, moto concepts, I don't know much about like your story. To be honest, like we've become pretty good friends over the past couple years, and um, we always enjoy a good laugh together and whatnot. Um, but like. Yeah, like I said before, Moto Concepts. Were you on Rock River before Moto Concepts or after? Um, after, as a pro, because I raced, I raced for Moto Concepts my last year amateur, which was 2008. So that was like a collaboration between Yamaha and Rock River on my last year. Okay. Intermediate uh, on that deal. So. Okay. And then you raced first and year raced, pro as um, privateer. My first race at Glen Helen, and then. Um, Moto Concepts hired me for going straight out of. Glen it's Helen. definitely a different Moto Concepts than it is oh, now. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's not even the same yeah, thing. You yeah. know, we had, you know, nothing bad about the team. You know, they're killing it now. But when when I signed with them, like 
I had nothing but trouble with bikes. We were blowing up bikes every weekend, and just everything that could happen, it happened. So. But you more or less, that was your only 250 year, or you, did, you weren't even doing 250 that year? No, I, I went straight from... 450, just straight I in the deep I went straight to 450, end. yeah. <laughs> I like it. I, I like was it. like, a, I was 230 pounds. I wasn't racing a 250 yeah. F, you know? So then after Rock River, you did, or after Moto Concept, sorry, you did what? Yeah, so... Uh, I, I was with Moto Concepts for that whole outdoor year, and then Mike Genova contacted me and my dad, and they're like, hey, he's talking about wanting to start a team. And my dad was like, yeah, you know, I have all of our connections with sponsors, and and everything, you know, went so quick. Genova, um, not Genova, um, Mike Duclos bought a semi, a tractor, and literally had someone drive it to our house in, in Wildemar, California, and me and my dad gutted this thing it was disgusting you know we gutted it we cleaned it we scrubbed it you know we did everything possible we got almost every sponsor set up you know between motors pipes yeah you think of it you know my dad did probably almost 100 of it and then you know kind of put the structure of that team together and then uh i raced for them for i believe about two years and then uh you know we kind of had a little bit of a falling out and then i ended up going back to like full privateer thing and you know was riding i think i bought uh i had some sponsors that helped out and they actually bought some cowies for me and you know we ended up doing that for almost uh all supercross and i had a crazy crazy privateer. i went like i went with my own cowies and then at the time it was uh star yamaha and um who was that other guy that helped with star for a while uh um, for like a, for that year when Regal was on, oh uh, Valley Valley, yeah, it was Star Valley, and they I filled in for Supercross a couple that was times. Twelve, yeah, it was twelve, yeah. and then uh, it was back and forth from there. And then I was like, this ain't working. Then I sold my Cowies, and then I bought Suzuki's. That was thirteen that with was 13. Uh, the big gray rig thing. No, no, that was just that was thirteen. I I only did Supercross only for um, underneath Ted Park's rig. Okay. And then it was when 14 came around is when I stepped it up and I had a lot more help from WPS and Fly. And then I had a deal with Motorsport.com and Motorsport Hillsboro. And they kind of everybody kind of pitched in, and that's when I got that show hauler and had it mm. wrapped. And that, that was kind of like my breakout year where I had yeah. you know, some really good And then results. 14 outdoors, you rode RCH, right? Yeah, and then I got hired RCH, you know, outdoors, which that, you know, truthfully, I think that was the turning point, you know, because I think if I, you know, I, I think after that year anyways, I would have gotten hired, but, you know, that really helped, you know, push to being able to get onto JGR. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, your journey is one of the more, um, successful ever privateer to or not amateur champion not you know like standout young guy to the peak of the pinnacle of 450 supercross you know yeah if, if i if i look back from when i was like just getting into it i would have laughed if someone said you're gonna make it because like dude, we were going to we were going to glamis as a family and going to havasu and just partying and having an awesome time and you know, dirt bikes weren't even a, a thought, you know, of, of racing. They were a thought of, like, I had fun and rode them all the time, yeah, but course. never was, like, if someone came to me, like I said back then, was like, oh, yeah, you're going to be on a factory team, and I just laughed, like, you're, you're you're really funny, you know. But, uh, you know, yeah, the whole transition of, of all that and then, you know, going amateur and then, you know, showing some potential. And then I literally was only amateur for uh, – a little bit of 06 and then 07, 08 and then I jumped straight into the pros and yeah. that was kind of it. So I really only won a few championships as an amateur and then that was it. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Like, you know, I spent my whole entire youth um, chasing Loretta's and and Ponca, Vegas, all the, the amateur nationals, but your story has to give some people like uh, you know, we don't have to do this. Like, we don't have to mm-hmm. kill it. The whole our whole life you know to 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 make it to the races or you know sell the farm to to get there or whatever yeah it's it's definitely different you know i don't know if a lot of people can do what i did because obviously you know i rode it's a tough road like period tough road yeah because i rode as a kid you know all the way from two or three years old because my dad raced so it's like you know it was always i always knew how to ride but i never knew uh, that i would be in this state so it's like 
you know, I just think the way I did it was probably extremely hard because I wasn't there long enough to have that recognition from people to actually want to put their put their eggs in the basket for hiring Weston Pike. So I had to like grind and grind and push and push and you know be a dick just to be like, hey guys, when are you gonna help? Like I need help, you know. And so it's, there's a lot of work, and you know I think. You know, all that grinding and struggling, you know, made me who I am today. And that's why I think I'm, you know, at where I am. Exactly. That's one thing that, like, Dungeon and I were talking about uh, in the first episode was, like, it's hard to see the end result always, you know. And But if you could see the end result prior to, you know, when you're going through the struggle, you would take that road over, you know, 50 times. But yeah. it's just so hard to see around your current situation or current uh, standing where you are, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely it's it's definitely a different route. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy just to think, you know, what you can do if you put your mind to it and have the right people behind you, even though you have nothing. You know, it's it's always a mental thing. You know, it's it's ninety percent mental, and that's that's what a lot of kids these days that are privateers and they're trying to race. It's like my opinion is they're not they're nowhere near mentally strong enough to to accept what it takes to to be in this position and and you know a lot of guys out there just their minds only set to just show up and make the main and you know a lot of them can't even do that because they're not even in the right position to do that but i had uh one question about that actually um from a uh from cody piscatelli he said uh, for for Pike, Mathis talks about how privateers thinking they're training are thinking they're training hard, but when they get around factory guys, they realize they aren't actually working that hard. Does this apply to you and your privateer days, or were you always training like an animal? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like that, you know. Like if you're a privateer, like I see, I still see it every day. Like when I was a privateer and I was out riding a supercross track, I sucked my first two years. Like I. Every factory guy on the track would yell at me to get out of the way, and I would just be like, screw you. No, like, I'm here, and I'm going to race you whether you're faster than me or not. So, like, I pushed the envelope. I I made it a point to get in their way, race behind them, piss them off, and... I watch these privateers today, and it's like I come up behind them on a, on a track, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" And they just like pull off the track and sit on the side of the track and watch. I'm like, "What are you doing? Like, you should be after following me and, and like just you know trying to push, push, push." But they don't get it, you know. They all just think that they could just show up and, and ride a few laps and it's going to work out. And it's that's just kind of how that's how I think and that's why a lot of them aren't successful. Yeah, so much of it is mental. I mean. Even my younger days, and still today a little bit, like, I'm a little bit, like, nervous. You know, yesterday was my first day back on the bike, and I was literally sick to my stomach driving to the track. And, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for, I've been, this is my 14th season as a pro, and it's it's such a tough thing to get to that for me, you know. And it's, it's cool to see... That, that that's just your standing like that's just kind of who you are and and it, it has made you who you you know who you are and where you are today it's it's awesome yeah no it is it's i definitely have a different outlook on a lot of things you know, <laughs> versus a lot of a lot of riders but that's what makes me different you know i have a whole different you know crowd of people i like, think that's yeah. why people kind of gravitate to not you know obviously you're an awesome rider and you're a cool dude and you're all action eat concrete for breakfast daily like that's just who you are but also you're you know like a a strong-willed dude for sure yeah no it's you gotta have a different outlook you know i think a lot of guys are the same and i try to be different and you know do things that i do um let's see we had a couple of questions here that were pretty good um this one's from Edward O'Keefe. I'd like to know if Weston has plans for his post-race life. What will he do when he decides to retire from racing, and what is he doing now to prepare himself for that? Yeah, so, you know, obviously so far it's a little it's a little soon for me to, you know, even think about a career-ending situation with this injury. But, you know, I, I've definitely uh, pushed it around of ideas of, like, what I do. 
I definitely don't think I'd want to be, you know, stuck in this sport, you know, just because of what happened and then, you know, being involved with it. It's kind of a tough situation. But, uh, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of things I could do, but I also have time, you know. I, I'd, I'd love to, you know, possibly still go back to JGR and, and you know, do in-house stuff with, with the NASCAR side because I like building cars. I like to be hands-on. I couldn't just be a desk guy. So, you know, I'd love to do, you know, something like that. And then as well as, you know, I, I'd, I'd even, you know, probably start a small business, you know, of some sort. You know, I have a lot of connections with good people. And, and you know, there's so many things I could do out there. You know, yeah, for I sure. You're a that. very versatile, smart, well-rounded dude. Uh, before we started recording, you were telling me that you were kind of over California. You love, you know, the Charlotte area and would consider a move there. I thought that was pretty big. Yeah. Um, Especially if you want to get into the NASCAR thing, that would be awesome. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I said, it's, uh, you know, I'm already comfortable back there. I know what it is, and and I'd love to actually get out of California and and you know see the different seasons and, and live a different life out there and not have to be you know strung out in California all the time. You know, just <laughs> fighting uh, traffic, fighting traffic, and fighting people. Yeah, and, my dad. I go it. through this with my dad all the time. He's like, oh, I bet it's amazing to just live in the sun every day. And I'm like, <laughs> actually, it gets pretty boring occasionally. You want yeah. you want to like put a sweatshirt on or or uh like you know just something different just uh, yeah. just rain or something yeah like like since i'm not racing right now like i actually enjoy the rain i'm like please rain because <laughs> i like it you know what i mean so it's like i want to actually go outside and have to put a jacket on and a pair of pants and enjoy it you exactly know? And, in california you maybe get that a total of 30 days out of the year so <laughs> if you're lucky if you're lucky so i'm like you know i'm kind of wanting to enjoy that other side of life of you know a whole different atmosphere yeah um Let's see. Let's take another question here. Mm, sorry. Hold on. All right. Here's another another good question, just because it's you. Has Weston ever caught up to someone driving a car at a light that may maybe got a little too close to him while he was cycling? Oh, yeah. That was probably every day here in California. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've, I've screamed. I've yelled at people. You know, it's like, like busted some mirrors off or no? Oh, I've punched mirrors. I've punched <laughs> out of cars. I've thrown water bottles at the cars. I've almost, like, thrown my cell phone at a car, you know, to attempt to actually break a window so they'd stop. Um, but, no, it's crazy, California. Like, people don't care. You know, they're so busy on their cell phones and they're not paying attention and they just, they're stupid, you know? Like, I used to hate mountain biking, like, just recently, I live in a neighborhood. There's some really good trails uh, right out my back door, and uh, just recently, I've come to like mountain biking. And then the other day, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna ride my road bike. And uh -huh. I got like 15 minutes in, and I'm like, no, this is why I don't ride my road bike. It <laughs> yeah. sucks. Yeah, it does suck because the area I live in is like, I'm like on the border of the 55 plus community. <laughs> So, like, I'm scared to death going down this one road because I feel like I'm going to get hit by some old person that can't see right, you know. So, it's definitely sketchy, you know, road biking here in California. It's, it's not fun. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, so, current situation still with JGR, um, they're obviously supporting you highly through this injury and, and you know, moving forward, whatever that holds. Um, it's a team that you were with and then came back to, right? No, I've been with JGR for this is actually my fifth year. Oh, okay, yeah. So the, that was fourteen. Was the year no fifteen when you got on the podium? Yeah, fifteen months for my Phoenix? first year. Was that Phoenix? Um, no, you got past no, the Phoenix because you broke your foot. Yeah, I broke right? my foot. You know, at the end of the race, and then I I got past that. I think the last lap by Dungey. Oh yeah, yes. Because I, I was in third for the whole race, and then oh no, I was I you know made some passes, got into third, and then I. Uh, my foot, you know, casing a jump, and then that's kind of what happened with that. So, but then my first podium was uh, not long, think, that same year, right? Or no? Yeah, same year was uh, Santa Clara. Santa Clara, I think, is when uh, that was my first podium. Santa Clara 15. Oh, I yarded 15, it yeah. in the first turn that night. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember much about that race. We'll be right back to the podcast in just a second, but first, let me tell you about some of my favorite products. Skosh, accessories for life. Listen, guys, their slogan sums it up. They design accessories for your life. I use the Magic Mount phone mount every day, the boom bottle all the time, the GoBat backup battery when we're traveling. The functionality and durability of these products is second to none. That's why myself and Rockstar Energy Husqvarna Factory Racing Team choose Skosh, accessories for life. Check them out at skosh.com. That's S-C-O-S-C-H-E.com. You, you alluded to it earlier, but like, 
you know, eight-year-old Weston to see Weston now. Yeah. Proud dude. Proud little eight-year-old. Stoked where you're at now. Yeah, Not yeah, stoked. No, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked to have made it this far, you know, because... You know, I would say growing up as a kid, I, I wasn't the best of kids. I, I sucked in school. I, I failed school. I I got expelled from eighth grade. I got expelled from ninth grade. So, like, school was not in, in my <laughs> book. So, you know, if, if racing hadn't worked out, I'd be working construction, you know, busting my ass in the field. So it's like I'm, I'm stoked where I'm at. And like I said, it, you know, the accomplishments I've made in, in a short period of time are huge. And it's, it's, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything. Yeah, you've carved out like a, a niche little spot for yourself, and that's pretty, uh, pretty rare in in life these days. I think it's just really cool, honestly. Yeah, no, it is. It's um, you know, it just shows a lot of people that that you can you can still do it. You know, with with a little support and and little time. It's as long as you put your head down and and like I said, you know, put the right amount of people in you that are positive, and and anything can happen. That's right, for sure. So back to kind of the privateer day days uh, with with the Suzuki, say like fourteen. Like, how good was your bike then compared to mm, say factory bikes? Um, you know, I'd say I had a pretty I had a pretty good bike. I, I had. I had everything pretty much besides chassis, you know, set up. You know, I had, I had, you know, Showa doing my suspension. You know, I paid for everything back then, obviously, and you know, I had a good program. I, luckily, I had the budget to where I can have good suspension, and then I also had, you know, a solid motor program too. You know, my bikes were fast, and I had good, good suspension. So at that point, you know, when you're hungry, that's all that matters is if you have a fast bike and a good handling bike, you can make it work. So I'd say. I'd say my bike was pretty good. You know, we did a lot of um, testing and, and had a lot of, you know, good stuff going for it. But it wasn't a factory bike by no means, you know. It yeah. was like... You what's know. your, what's your like, one key thing that you're about on the bike? Like, when, it, you know, chassis, is it engine hangers or is it forks or shock or whatever i'm like more of a front-end guy front-end so like guy, front feel suspension you know kind of I, I think a lot of it actually you know learning now a lot of a lot of front end feel comes from your chassis as well so it's you know i'm more like if my front end's working good like i could care less what the rest of the bike's doing <laughs> as long you as know, you guide yeah. her into the rut i it's oftentimes that like with the factory stuff you can get down a wormhole pretty quick like away from where you need to be did you ever struggle with that or not really yeah, I I, str- I struggled a lot, you know. Like, I think like it, coming from a privateer setting where you only had like, here's your stuff to like, here's eight sets of engine hangers and seven pivot bolts that we need yeah. to try today. Um, what's actually funny is like coming off of, you know, my privateer bike in fourteen and then signing with, with uh, JGR like. There was a lot of attention on Varsha because they hired Varsha at that time. So, like, I was almost like the outsider. So, like, I tested, but I didn't test that much. Like, I was in Cali, too. So, like, I got what they shipped me, you know, that was, oh, this will work. You know what I mean? So, like, I was fine with that because I was, I was more stoked to just to have a factory ride right. and to have something that was badass. Not and, have to worry about yeah. putting something together. So, or like, I didn't care what I had. I said, send me a bike with whatever's on it. And I'm going to ride the crap out of it regardless. Yeah. So, like, I think my whole first year factory, like, I tested, but not a lot. You know, I made what I had work, and obviously I was on the podium. And then and then my next year, it was like, oh, let's let's test a little more, you know. <laughs> so I go to Charlotte, and, like, they're like, all right, Weston, we got, we got all these clamps. We got all these linkages. We got all these motor mounts. And you're just licking your chops like, oh, this yeah, is, we're like, going to make some progress. I can't wait for this. <laughs> and then it's like, you know, you start getting into it, and then you're like, Man, I'm spun out. What <laughs> does this part really do? And even today, I'm still the same way. Like, like I'm really good at, a te- at being a tester now, but nowadays, like, the parts are so fine-tuned, and they're so close to each other that right. it's so hard to, distinguish. to like, decide which one is really going to be good for this action. And then right. you're, you're at the track all day. You're testing from the morning till 
three o'clock, the track's changing, and you're like, "Well, crap! What, what, what would it be like two hours morning? ago?" Yeah. So you're like, "All right, put it back on," and then it's not the same. So it's like you, you could you could spin yourself out so quick with you know testing and testing right. All yeah, the that's why I was wondering because like it had to have been your first or second year at JGR where you were yeah. like open you know open book as to what they could change or do or whatever and I yeah it would blow you know I'd done this the first like official test I did I was 13 years old okay. KTM took me to, to Austria to test with the 85 and like I've been learning how to test daily since then you know but like if you grew up not having that setting or even as a privateer your whole career those first days at the factory at a factory team would have to be like holy crap like this is yes. mind boggling yeah it, it was you know it was like I didn't know what to do I didn't know what to think I was like oftentimes I feel like that sometimes there you go testing to either give feedback or like I'm gonna like try to make a race bike today you know like there's yeah. a big difference between just getting a feel for something or I'm going to go and try to do 20 laps on this particular setting and really move towards like a, a race bike if you will yeah exactly yeah like I said it, like it's it's hard to it's hard to justify if you want to sit there all day and try stuff all day because you can yeah <laughs> you, I, I've done three days in a row where I was just testing chassis parts and it drives you crazy but you know I think the most important thing, you know, that I learned is not getting so caught up in everything. Like, if you find something that you like that you could put in consistent laps over and over again, and your team is, like, being like, hey, we still want to try this, just it's tell them no, you know. Like, I'm, I don't want to try it. I feel comfortable that I yeah. can do I, good on this. I'm all in on that. Like, I, I, my setting hasn't really changed much. You know, obviously I haven't raced yet, but since uh, the beginning of December, like, uh, I rode the first two months on the same thing, changed a little bit, and now... We're in the end of January, like I said, I've missed a couple weeks riding, but even then, I don't feel like I would have changed much because I feel like you get so fine-tuned on one one setting, you change it with you know only a few weeks ago, and then you're like trying to I don't know find your feet the whole yeah. time, yeah, whereas you have tough. so many hours on what you had, and and is it really that much you know different? Yeah. Yeah, it almost goes backwards sometimes. Like, you could think something's good, and then you throw it on, but you've yeah. only ridden it for one week, and you're getting to the races, and you're like, something's wrong. What's wrong? You know, right. so that's why I like to, like, I like to get my testing done early in the year to where I feel comfortable. Exactly. And I like, I like to practice on, on a bike for probably... A month plus, and then that's what I'm going to race on. Yeah, and, and then you can like, you can go you know just have yourself in between where you have you know plenty of clicks left, plenty of clicks right, and you're exactly yeah. You, can you make wanna, adjustments. The from only there. thing I would usually typically change is like when we get to the races, we end up going a little stiffer. Yeah, and that's that's it. I'm not I'm not struggling changing clamps, yeah. thicknesses, and this and that. Or a lot of guys get caught up in that, and I just kind of like to just you know know that it's going to work in the end run. Yeah. Is there anything you're like mega picky about like? Bars, levers, um, seat, grip, placement. What, what grips do you ride? Waffle, no waffle? I'm like a half waffle. Half waffle? Guy. Yeah, soft, soft grip. Soft and then, half uh, waffle? My most pickiest thing is my seat. Your seat? If my seat is too soft, I, I, I can't ride my bike. Like <laughs> I have to have a like almost firm to hard seat foam yeah at all times because as soon as my as soon as my seat you know starts getting sagged out or clapped out like i, I feel like i can't ride the bike like, well i don't have that issue because i have basically no seat foam yeah, yeah you're running <laughs> so i'm just sitting on the pan uh, more or less. Uh, yeah because yours is cut already so yeah you don't have that issue like for me it's like you know a seat foam is pretty because obviously it's, it's body position you right know, yeah return so that's probably one of the biggest things because i'm a bigger guy and it's like you know i go through a damn seat once a week yeah you know, so i like actually my my pant my seat pan to be really firm because i feel like it can take a lot of your seat bounce away okay. if you have like a, a soft pan that's something not my seat foam like i said i don't have much seat foam yeah. but i like for my pan to be really stiff yeah it's different setup for seat bounce and yeah definitely because i that's, that's how i am to it my rear like i said i, I my front end needs to be most of my feel and then my shot can be as hard as it possibly can you know just to seat mounts and yeah and do whatnot so um away from motorcycles what is it what 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 makes you tick what do you like to do to enjoy i saw you love fishing 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's Great funny. Day. I actually, I like to fish, but I suck at it. Really? Like, like even though we shot that, that's why, I, you know, I wanted to shoot that commercial because I was like, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I actually love to fish, but I suck because I never catch fish. Yeah, I was jealous okay. of your commercial because I was like, dude, I love to fish, but I love the golf too. So it, yeah, yeah. it worked out. Yeah, so actually, like, I, I, I go fishing, you know, as much as I can on, on down days that, I, that I'm not riding or whatnot. But, like... I go fishing and I'm like, why did I go fishing? Because I don't ever catch any fish, and I get so pissed. But uh, I think that there's something to be said for fishing and golf, and like a lot of people can't quite put together why motorcycle motocross guys or or you know whatever like the slow sports. But I think it's so such a big contrast from what we do. Like you know, think about the contrast from supercross track to you know going fishing casting off the bank like it's just a huge difference and you can kind of go out there and just unwind a little bit yeah. like it's so it's so, so refreshing and so nice yeah it is it's, it's peaceful in a way even though you're pissed that you're not yeah. catching fish but you're still like you know i got outside you know looking at you know clear water and, and having a good time with friends and you know that's all that matters is to kind of like get off that, yeah that edge all the time so i uh, i once read something i can't remember it exactly now but it was like there's three different types of sportsmen there's the ones who go and if they don't catch fish they're mad there's the ones who go and if they do catch fish they're happy and there's the one who just goes to fish and is happy with that or you know something like that which it was kind of making it more about just the experience than the actual catching fish or or you know killing a deer or whatever the case is yeah no i'm the one that's like I go to expect to catch fish, and I don't catch fish, and I'm pissed. Like I go home and I'm like, I'm gonna sell all my fishing gear. Oh, why did I do that? Why? I wasted four hours. Yeah. And then it doesn't help that I go to the store and I buy a new a new rod and reel almost every single time, and I stock up on like two hundred dollars worth of stuff. And then I go fishing, and I'm like, oh sweet, you just put two hundred dollars and you didn't catch a damn fish. Like yeah. you know, so it's it's a pain, you know, dealing with that. But whatever, it's it's fun, you know. At the end of the day, what else? Um. Dude, I have a Harley. You know, I like to work on my Harley. I ride my Harley. I have, I have an old truck I work on. You know, still. Um, so I'm hands on, man. I just I like to do anything with cars, and you know, that's kind of what you know keeps me going. I don't have like any other sports I really like to, you know, get involved with or do. So I'm like pretty heavy on, on just. At my house or at my buddy's shop, you know, working on stuff. So that's kind of that's kind of what that's kind of what I like to do, you know, to get away and and you know change that pace is, is doing something completely different than motorsports. Yeah, are you like a a memorabilia guy? I, I kind of feel like you have a hard exterior, but there's like this soft spot somewhere. Like, do you keep stuff from your career? Do you have all your trophies, or you know, is it just like um, whatever? No, like I I keep I actually I I've kept a set of my gear since. I started racing That's pro. cool. It's like I have all my gear. I have um, all my trophies. You know, I have I, I pretty much any anything I've had from when I was starting pro, I've kept all my trophies and all the all the important stuff. So, like, yeah. that's, you know, it means a lot from where I came from to actually have, like, walking around yeah. and you're like, damn, I have, you know, my first podium trophy. So, it's like, it's, it's definitely cool to be able to, you know, have that stuff. And, yeah. You know, it's... It, I'm a memorabilia guy. My wife calls me a hoarder, but I call okay. myself a collector. <laughs> um, there's a big difference there. Oh, there In is, her yeah. mind, it's all the same, you know. It's just a bunch of junk that we, we don't need right uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. Um, not, not so much, like, trophies and stuff like that, but I'm like, you know, I have a box of cards in my closet that are from my birthdays from like the last 10 years or, or Christmas or whatever. Um, I didn't know if that was kind of your thing or, or you were just like a whatever kind yeah. of guy. No, I mean, I, I collect a little bit of my stuff, but it's like, I'll go through my garage sometimes and I'm like, I really don't need that. You know, I'll just start throwing crap away, you know, cause I, I, I collect too much stuff, but, um, you know, it's, it's fun. You know, you gotta, you gotta have something different, you know, than, than moto, you know, yeah. like I said, is get your mind off of it and do something else of course um do you do you enjoy the the work side of of racing training you know riding I, long days i do to a point you know but sometimes it really gets you know to be a, a handful in a, in a stressing situation you know but you know that was kind of more earlier in my career where like where racing was 
you know, hard because it was hard. You know, I was just getting, you know, used to the factory level and I was like, you know, I really got to step up my program. It's not, it's not easy. I got to, I got to be that much better than when I was a privateer. So my first three years was like, like I was like, I had that drive to want yeah. to wanna do good, you know, for the team and for myself. And But at the same time, I'm like, gosh, this is hard, you know. Like, you know, this is not fun showing up at week in, week in out and training and this and that. And then I kind of went through a phase. And then, like, my last two years, like, I was, like, I was stoked. I was, like, I can't wait to go to the track and ride. I can't wait to train, you know. So I kind of had, like, that change of, of thought, you know, later in my career where I actually, you know, uh, you know, I took it, you know, more important than I I was like, you know, I'm not getting any younger, so I got to start, you know, working smarter. Right. What would you prefer the stress of like the extra workload as far as training goes or the privateer getting your stuff to the races, putting it all together, all that stuff? Put it this way. I, I would never want to do it over again yeah. the way I did it. So I, I would I would way rather prefer, you know, the stress of, of being a factory rider and, yeah. and having to show up every weekend. For sure. What's the hardest thing you find about that, like, being a factory guy? Is it just the pressure, um, the obligation? Um, definitely there's a lot. You know, there's there's an obligation of, of how many people need you to do stuff. And then, you know, just staying on point all the time and never getting off your your edge and and you know like that's that's the hardest thing is just showing up and being consistent every weekend and not you know showing up and sucking one weekend and doing good the next weekend it's all good hey, so, you, uh, you know that that's the thing you know it's 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 tough but you know we we got to work I don't think people it. a lot of times quite understand like the day-to-day of that like you know when you're on a factory team if you go to the test track or the practice track and those people are there it's got to be good like it's got to be saturday podium caliber all the time like it that yeah it wears on your adrenals it wears on your psyche and everything like i enjoy that side of it because that's just kind of who i am like i i enjoy the the tougher more more pressure days i kind of thrive on that a little bit but I can understand from where you came from that it would be like, man, like these guys really want this like daily. Like it's not that easy. No, it's not. Like it it took me a while to get into that, to that zone and that pace of like, they don't expect anything other than podiums and top fives and, and, you know, whatever the case was. So it was like, it was hard for me to, to switch into those gears and, and, and always, having someone expecting me to be up there so but you know now like i said it's now i have the mentality it's like if i if i don't do good i'm like kicking myself from the head all week long like you suck you're an idiot like what are you doing like get out there and you know go and try harder so in which that's that's what works for me is like going out and trying even harder and pushing harder and and that's kind of how it works for me right i i i agree with that like i can i concur um the the more that you kind of put yourself through that the the less pressure it becomes and the more the easier it is to continue it you know i think yes of course there's days where you're just like it's not happening today you know i'll I'll make it happen on saturday but at the same time the more you do it the easier it gets oh it is it is like that's you know that's what i've noticed is like if you're putting in the work and you're busting your ass at the practice tracks, like you ideally should show up on the weekends and it should be easier than yeah. your week's work. And and that's that's what I learned, you know, my last two years was if I put in all this work, you know, on the off season, you should show up and it should be easy. And that's you know, that's what it showed for me last year. You know, I I killed it last year. It was my probably my best consistent year. And and when I was out, you know, that off season, like I was doing 60 to 100 laps a day, yeah. and it paid off, you know. So that's kind of what you have to do, and that's what you have to expect from yourself yeah. from this point forward, you know, once you get into that zone. Fly Racing USA. Dudes, I love a BOA system, okay? If it were up to me, everything would be BOA. No more shoelaces, no more snaps, just BOA. BOA everything. So when Fly told me they were putting the BOA system on some of their pants, totally stoked. Um I love everything I have from Fly, and one thing that people probably don't know is they make some pretty sick mountain bike stuff. So when I'm out on my Levo crushing it, I love to wear Fly.
Check them out, flyracing.com. What about, like, um, what do you think of this, like, the social obligation? You're not a huge social guy um, nowadays with, with everything that goes with that. What do you, what do you think of that? Um, I know you've been in a couple alter, not altercations, but, like, you know, you're not afraid to be like, no, you're an idiot or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, trust me, I've, I've learned a lot with this whole social media lifestyle, and I'm not big on social media, like, I, I try to do as much as I can, you know, to let people yeah. know what's up and this and that. But, you know, a lot of the times you just got to bite the bullet and not say anything <laughs> back if you got some haters on the Internet. But it's so hard for me to do that. Like, if someone's talking crap, like, I am going to talk crap right back to you. You know, but I, I've I've gotten in trouble for it numerous times. But, you know, you can't change who I am. And it's, yeah, it's one of those, yeah, it's like someone wants to talk crap, you're going to hear it right <laughs> back. And I'm going to let you know. But the funniest thing actually is about that is, like, the amount of people that talk crap to me and I actually will respond to them and talk crap, they'll send me a private message and be like, sorry, man, for saying that, dude. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, why did you start this from the get-go? Yeah. Like, it's almost like people just... These days, people are so thriving for attention that it's all they want is someone just to respond to them. Yeah. And that's it. And that's that's what gets people going. It's, it's terrible to think that way. That, that That's how the society is turning into, but it, it's just how yeah, one of those things. Yeah, it's a... It's a f- strange deal i i try my best <laughs> to you're terrible kinda, social media i know i, know I don't even know you had a twitter until today <laughs> well I, <laughs> and i you followed know, you by the way oh wow that's awesome <laughs> um only because I, I mentioned you, though, right? That's the only way you found my Twitter? Because, uh, so, yeah, because you mentioned me. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not a big Twitter guy. That's my least important. See, I, if I had to choose one, I would choose Twitter. I don't have Facebook. Uh, I only have, like, a fan account or whatever. Yeah. And then Instagram, it's cool. But if I had to choose one, it's Twitter. I just, I love to read subtweets. Like, okay. you know, there's some dumb, dumb tweet. Like, not, you know, I'm not going to go down that route, but, like, read the subtweets of all the different viewpoints and it's like how how can people be so have so many different opinions on yes. one thing that's pretty black and white exactly, you know yeah yeah it yeah. blows yeah. my mind people just make shit up just to, just to start a new story of a story you know but that's i like twitter too I, I follow like i follow just funny ass accounts that get a rise out of other people like trump and cloyd rivers like you i love, love retweeting that guy's stuff but you know it's funny and then i also like to like people that go on there and write messages because somehow me like following cloyd rivers um Somehow I get all of this hate mail. Yeah, Twitter, when you uh, like it, when he yeah. likes it. So I get all these people that like are like, <laughs> if you follow Claude Rivers, you're yada yada yada. So I'm just, I kind of like that because then I just, I, I block all those people <laughs> over and over and over again. So I kind of like, you know. So if I, out. if I uh, say something, then you're just gonna block me. Yeah. If you if you talk crap about something that I don't agree with, I'll probably block you or follow you. <laughs> I've done it numerous times. I don't know if I've blocked anyone ever. I'm, Really, I've blocked. I think I have a blocked list I of to, like a thousand people now. That's on impressive, dude. That yeah. is like that took some time. Yeah. Oh, dude. But dude, so many people talk crap. But now it's like this is how I go. If someone talks crap enough to piss me off, <laughs> I'll take it just far enough to where I get my shit talking comment back to them. And then I'll block them. <laughs> so it's like I give them enough time to where they can actually see it, and then I'll shut them down and block it. Ooh, so yeah. that's a just that's so a that big play. It sits on them. But I just you know, so if you ever unblock time. those people, you'd have like a million mentions of like Probably, them yeah, just yeah. firing at you. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, is there anything you want to cover or, or say that we haven't covered or talked about? Um, you know, I just think uh, you know, I actually. A lot of people ask, you know, because a lot of people don't know that I lost, you know, a lot of sight in my right eye. And uh, I get that question every day, like, oh, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? Yeah. It's like, well, I don't have vision in my right eye. You know, I have, I'd say out of 100%, I have 5% vision in my right eye. So, yeah. um, you know, from four weeks ago, I didn't have any vision to then getting a little bit of vision back. So, you know, I think that's, you know, the, the, the hardest thing for me right now is just kind of... Uh, getting used to that lifestyle of like of only having vision out of your left eye yeah and it, it's hard to it's hard to you know live that way when you're not used to it so I'm, you know slowly getting used to that and 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 acclimating to that but uh you know that's that's kind of like you know another big thing that's kind of holding me back from getting on the bike sooner is just kind of uh letting that 
heal as naturally as I can and then, you know, as well as, you know, I'm trying to do other stuff that could possibly, you know, help regenerate, you know, that faster. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you for the update. Like, that's pretty big. I don't know how open you've been about that, but it's, you know, all the best. And, yeah, I mean, um, I think, I hope you can make a comeback because I enjoy having you at the races because yeah, it's I was, fun. I was looking forward to, you know, parking you. I was looking forward to smashing. <laughs> like, you were the first guy I was going to, like, yeah. get into, you know? I was waiting for it. Like, and then... I got hurt, and then you got hurt. And I was like, "Oh shit!" I was even know. looking forward to it in Paris, but like it all happened so quickly. It did. It did. Bummer. All right. Uh, always end, or I'm gonna always end with ten, uh, ten random questions. Any answer, whatever you think of, two word answer, however you feel like answering it. Um, most important object you own that you've purchased. My. F- Car, car? <laughs> uh, it's a it's a vet. I bought a brand new vet a few years back. Sick. Was that like a podium gift to yourself or? Uh, no, that was like just... a. I bought an M6 for my first ever fast car or my first ever car purchase in in general, and then I was over that, so I sold that, and then I bought a brand new 15 vet back Sweet. when it first came out. Uh, guilty pleasure food. Ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah. Uh, morning person or night? Mm, morning person. Biggest pet peeve? Arguing about useless crap. <laughs> so Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, yeah. Um, your weirdest quirk? I don't even know. I got nothing for that. You don't weirdest have any, like... You know, like you touch your, like, maybe you put your gear on the same way every time you ride or Uh, you clap three times before you start. No, I don't do any weird stuff. I just actually, the only weird thing I do getting dressed with gear is I, I have to buckle my left boot first. Okay. That's, that's a quirk. That's a weird quirk. All right. Um, any other sport that you could do, uh, or talent you could have, what would it be? I'd do football. Football? Yeah. Just for... I played a little bit of football back in okay. in uh, ninth grade. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like high school? High school, football? yeah. And then I got expelled, so <laughs> um, go figure. Travel back in time to any event? Um, I want to race like 1980 Supercross. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Because it looks so sketchy, <laughs> and they have, like, no suspension, and I'm like, I want to experience that. I don't remember. I've seen the race, and I... Uh, watched it once or twice but like the first time they jumped a triple and the thing was like the face was seriously like 80 feet long and it was just like a huge ski jump send um that does not tickle my fancy at all that's i don't know that's i'd do that that's your jam for for there's just hey i always every race i've seen from the 80s there's hay everywhere because they always hit hay bells so it's like some dirt with a bunch of hay spread on top of it huge huge singles that aren't even formed legitimately (laughs) and there's no thought out jump it's and then they're like, like oh i'm gonna just jump this whole set of whoops yes, or yes so that's that's what i do um thing you're the worst at um uh, that's a huge list a huge list no, no like nah. give me your top one like maybe it's something kelly complains about or you're late it's or communication communication okay yeah um thing you're the best at other than riding or training like a hidden talent um driving driving yeah i'm pretty good at driving okay so but i feel like you would have like massive road rage like our crew chief scuba he he's (laughs) from new york and he i mean i call him every day on my way to the track which so it's normally like east coast time for me 7 a.m here and uh he's literally screaming at someone like ready to rip the wheel off but i feel like that is a you yeah no but i i do that every day but i i make it fun and i you know you're racing in and out of traffic yeah but i'm talking more or less when i drive my car i like to race my car rip you it know, doing 180 on the freeway no no no, 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 so no, no that's, no, that's no. what i like to do, do that. 
Um, all right, and uh, the last thing is a quote, like a quote to live by, or a quote you you like. If there's a will, there's a way. Sweet. Thank you so much, Weston Pike, for your time. Um, I appreciate it. As always, each guest leaves with a, uh, a Scotch gift box. I hope you enjoy the stuff. And um, we'll pick a winner for the uh, Scotch prize uh, from the questions that we asked during the show. Um, we'll be looking forward to seeing you at a race soon. And uh, all the best with your recovery. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on.